Hi, and welcome to the ABG podcast for this week. We're going to talk football, and we're going to have uh, Coach Drew Burnham from our flagship product publication, Curator and Coach. He and I are going to talk about our ideas, what we think is going to go on this season, take a look at a few things we are going to be looking at, and uh, try to get a grasp on what's already going on in the 2018 season. So if you really like college football, you're probably going to enjoy this one. Stand by. And our sponsor this week is Broad Street Guitars. They are located at 338 Broad Street in downtown Rome. Broad Street Guitars is a step-up guitar shop. They feature new and used string instruments and accessories. Whether you are a seasoned pro or an enthusiastic beginner, Broad Street Guitars is sure to have the instrument and accessories that you need. Now, when I tell you they have a sizable selection of guitars, I mean, like, think about the groupie girl walking in to Pink Floyd's hotel room in the wall and giving him the, are all these your guitars? That's the kind of selection we're talking about here. And they've got some great stuff on their site as well. Or in their store as well. And uh, when I say something like that, I mean like a 1938 Martin D18. We're talking about some good stuff there. They've got some quality items. But like they said, they've also got some beginner items on a little bit more affordable end of the scale. So, 11 to 7, Tuesday through Saturday. Y'all step in down there at 338 Broad in Rome if you're looking for a good guitar. That's a place that you need to be checking out. Great selection. It's got some good prices. And some top-notch stuff if you're really looking for a good deal on that. Tell Shane we said hi. Okay, so we got Coach Drew Burnham here with us from uh, my cohort with CNC. We're going to do a little preview of this season. How you doing, Drew? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, folks, for those who don't know, if I wind up calling him Andrew, this is my baby brother. I've known him all my life. It's the only thing I've ever called him. So I'm probably the only person left that still calls him that. So if I wind up calling him that, then y'all just know I'm talking about the same person. So. We uh we came out with the CNC first one of the season week one right now they got games going on and we're recording a podcast so we can't really accurately discuss <laughs> what's going on at this moment but I thought we would at least go back and do some uh do a little expansion on our CNC and at this point you're still in the lead on the picks because of Colorado of course I am so let's go I really expected more out of out of the boys from Colorado <laughs> State, they sort of let me down. <laughs> it happens, I guess. For sure. For so, sure. so, but uh, I want to I want to give you a chance to uh, let's talk about Memphis. They were on your on your team. You were looking forward to. Oh yeah, no, I'm a big big supporter of the Tigers right now. Uh, Secretly, because I've got a really good friend on staff there, but 
when you when you kind of when you kind of break it down and you look at what they've got going on up there, they have guys that have no business playing on that level, um, and they're one of the teams when you look at them um, and what they're able to do there and how they're able to recruit there. They're one of the teams that kind of play outside their level, and what I mean is teams like Memphis, um, teams like Boise State, a lot of times, um, teams like that. Really, you have to count them as a small Power Five school rather than a mid-major school. Um, and then you have, if you go down one more level, you have teams like James Madison and North Dakota State, and sometimes Jacksonville State that you have to count as a small mid-major and not really an FCS school. Um, and so, I, I think that Memphis falls into that category with those guys that are that are really small Power Five caliber schools, um, and so they end up getting into some matchups that you think that they wouldn't have a chance in that they do, uh, just because of how they're able to recruit there and the support that they have there from their school. Their setup there is really, really nice. Uh, administration is behind them 100%, gives them the things that they need to be successful, and, and they've got a great coaching staff there. Uh, Coach Norvell came there from Arizona State, and he's done a, a great job of carrying on what Coach Fuente left there when he left to go to Virginia Tech. Um, so, so I'm really high on the Tigers right now. I was really high on them last year, and they didn't didn't really upset they you know, if you remember the conference championship game last year they took UCF down to the wire when not a lot of other teams in the country were able to do that um took them down to the wire and I think it was a late fourth down fourth quarter play that ended up stealing that one for UCF but uh really high on the Tigers this year I think they're definitely one to keep an eye on yeah and they've, they've got a uh interesting location if you just look at their immediate recruiting area they're they're automatically in the runnings with uh, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi, yep. Mississippi State, Tennessee. Uh, getting into some of the, uh, I don't, I'm not sure about that end of Kentucky how strong that is, but uh, even up into some Big Ten areas around Indiana and, and Illinois, not really that far away, Missouri. So they, right. they're kind of they're kind of in a sweet spot as far as what, where they can uh, pull in talent from there. So. That's exactly. right, and I know that. Well, right, and they 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 talk a lot, a lot, a lot there about keeping their talent home because the city of Memphis itself is probably the best football in the state of Tennessee, um, and so they focus really, really hard on recruiting the city and keeping all those guys home. And if we have them here, we need to make sure they stay here. Um, and so they focus really hard on that. And they do a pretty good job of keeping those guys there. And if they can manage to steal a guy from Tennessee that's from the city of Memphis, hey, stay home, play for us. Let your mama come watch a game every Saturday. You know, they they tend to win those a lot, and they end up, they end up stealing some guys that they may not get any other kind of way. Yes, yes. So so that looks good. And then you've uh, you like you said, a lot of the guys that may not necessarily be. Who do you think will be playing on this area uh, or in this uh, on this level? And I'm thinking about the uh, watching um, Northwestern and Purdue the other night, and the uh, the receiver whose name is escaping my mind right now. Uh, I looked him up, and he's like a like a three star mm-hmm. for uh, for Purdue. And when you're sitting there watching him play, you're like. I, no, he's not a three star. This is a good ball player. 
Yeah. And of course, I've I've called the stars into question on the blog a couple of times now. Just as you should. As when, you when you see guys when they show up and and good coaching and being able to develop your players, you you can take these these four and three star players and and really get some good work out of them. And yeah, it's just hard to grade a high school kid based on his it ability is. on the field and him playing other high school kids. And then suddenly when you throw him in the mix, he he's got to go to classes and he's got to he's got to practice on the college level. He's got to play against college talent. Then you may uh, you may see something different. Right, and they so. they send these kids when they when they're doing the grading and the, they're starring kids and all this kind of stuff. Which I'm about uh, I'm a little bit more interested in in going to watch a ballet than I am how many starring kids has. I'm not a very big ballet fan, if you can't tell, but. When they when they start these kids, they're doing them at summer camps where these kids are out there running around in spandex and they're doing seven on sevens and one on ones and all this stuff. And what you don't get to see in that process is who is that kid in the locker room with seventy five other guys? What's this kid like on Tuesday at practice? Is he going to buy into your team deal? Is he going to be about him? Is he going to you know all this stuff when he's got to go to class and he's got to start managing his time and he's got to start you know doing just balancing everything that a college athlete has to balance, is he going to be able to handle that and still play at the same level? And they can't, you can't really see that stuff in a summer camp when the kid's running around in, in shorts and a T-shirt playing seven-on-seven. Seven. You can't see it. Um, right. And so so there's a lot of times that those stars don't always pan out. No, no. It comes back to the old uh, Mike Tyson adage, everybody's got a plan until they get busted in the mouth. That's right. That, but if you historically, if you go if you go back and look at some of these guys, you know I, the, the best example that I can think of just off the top of my head right now is Antonio Brown, that plays for the Steelers. I think we can all agree that he's having a, some minor successes in his career, um, and he he had no stars coming out of high school. And Central Michigan was his only offer. <laughs> he had one offer from Central Michigan University. He had no stars. He went there and played football, and now he's uh, multi-time All-Pro and all this kind of stuff, because the guy showed up and did what he was supposed to do, and he handled his business, and he worked hard every day, and now he's Antonio Brown. Right, right. And so this is why, you know, ABG CFB, we we don't do stars, we don't do preseason polls, we do uh, reality. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I I picked, uh, I, I kind of cheated on one of my picks. Instead of picking a team, I went with the ACC. Um, yeah, I, I, I picked that because I'm looking at this conference that is uh, – I don't think they're getting some of the credit that they deserve, you know, for so many years. Uh, back in the 80s, it was, okay, the ACC is Clemson and some basketball schools. Right. And, and then it became uh, the remnants of Clemson, Florida State, and some basketball schools. And then, of course, adding in Virginia Tech and Miami. And uh, Maryland has kind of gone on their own way, but they picked up Boston College and they've picked up Syracuse, which I don't know really factors into a, a football conversation. That kind of keeps along with the basketball school mentality. But um, Duke has come up from what Duke yeah. used to be. You know, there was some, I saw a tweet earlier about 
the the very real possibility that in the next couple of years David Cutcliffe may have them above 500 for the history of the program, which wow. would be an achievement. Um, Absolutely. He, he's only like uh, 14 wins off of off of being even uh, for all time for Duke. Um, but when you see Virginia Tech, you see Miami, who became just a very few disappointing games at the end of the season from being in the playoffs. Um, you see Florida State. Uh, curious to see what goes on with the coaching change there. Yep. Um, you've got several teams in there that could be national contenders really quick. And, you know, going back again to recruiting zones, these guys are recruiting against SEC. They're pulling the same kids. Um, right. And, and a lot of it is stay home. A lot of it is let mom come see your games. A lot of it is don't go way up there. And a, a lot of it is, hey, go to go to college 15 minutes from the beach. Uh, go to the college where you're not going to be up to your neck in snow. So when, when the Big Ten comes calling and – Kids are making a decision between am I going to go to Ann Arbor or am I going to go to Coral Gables? <laughs> uh, easy to say to me. <laughs> for, yeah, for a lot of guys, <laughs> you don't want to be wearing a sweater at Halloween. Yeah. You're wearing your swim trunks at Christmas instead, then you're going to be uh, look, look at taking that Miami guy up on an offer. I'll tell you this, too. You mentioned Duke and the job that Coach Cutcliffe's been able to do there. And it should, it's, it's, he's done such a spectacular job of building that program. Um, but David Cutcliffe might be the hardest working head coach in college football recruiting. He really might. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter or if you follow, if you follow any of the Duke stuff on Twitter. Um, but if you see the things that David Cutcliffe is doing himself, not his staff and not his recruiting people and not whatever, the things that David Cutcliffe himself is doing, um, he he is getting after it in recruiting. I went to a I went to a camp this summer where we were evaluating a few kids, and and there were coaches there from several big schools, um, a couple of SEC schools, a couple of ACC schools, a Big Ten school, um, and, and I saw assistants from all those places. But I saw David Cutcliffe at that camp. He had flown down that morning. Um, from from Duke to be able to be at this camp, and all of the smaller school coaches like myself were the ones that were operating the drills, and all of the Power Five coaches were able to handle registration and then walk around and watch camp. And we got to do our fair share of evaluation running drills, but Cutcliffe asked to run a drill. Walked in and asked the camp coordinator, "Can I please run this drill?" I want to. I want to be active. I want to do something with these kids. I want to run them. And so we're putting these kids through these drills at a summer camp. And I look over there, and the head coach at Duke is about three drills over from me, and he's sweating and getting after it, and you know, wiping his forehead, asking for a water bottle, and you know. And I said, that guy's recruiting. That guy's recruiting because these kids, the kids that are coming through there, the, the kids today, they want to know about your facilities. They want to know about your gear. But a lot of these kids that are, are big-time college football players don't come from, as funny as this sounds, this is why Dabo has so much success at Clemson. A lot of these kids 
come from situations where they don't know anybody who loves them, and they want to know a guy who really cares about them when it doesn't have anything to do with football. And when you see a when you see an FBS Power Five multi-million dollar head coach out there sweating and wiping his head, wiping his brow, and getting after it in a drill so he can make sure that you get the best opportunity possible. Those kids feel that, and they see it, and they relate to it. And it means a lot to them. And that's why David Cutcliffe was able to start getting some guys to come to Duke that wouldn't have ordinarily gone to Duke because he's cutting corners, and he's, and he's getting personal with these kids, and he's building relationships with them that don't have anything to do with football. And so that's, that's the deal that he's been able to do with Duke, and he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, and and what you see is when when a Duke program comes up, and I think this is what really impresses me with the ACC is that you've got your Duke, uh, Georgia Tech, NC State, uh, yeah. some of those schools that okay they're not going to win the ACC this year, right? Uh, but they are going to be in the position to mess that up for several Somebody. other teams. You have to take those teams seriously when they come in, and I think it's the fact that the top tier of the SEC is still best football in the country. When you're talking Alabama, uh, you're talking Georgia, those those are very, very powerful football teams. That are but it's definitely not as deep as it used to be. It's not as deep as it used to be. Ole Miss is not scaring anybody. Mississippi State this year is not going to be threatening anybody. You've got Tennessee and Florida uh, both coming out of just debacles that they're trying to completely rebuild a program out of. And and I think you're going to see both of those schools do that. The middle of the SEC, before you get down to where, you know, Vandy is, uh, you're, you're dealing with weaker teams on that side. Then you are in the in the ACC. At least that's what it looks like right now. I think that they're drawing, uh, they're they're coming up on parity with the SEC, but they're doing it through their mid range teams. Exactly. You, yes, you put out a Clemson, you put out a Miami, and you're looking at two teams right there that could very well be in the playoff this year. But the the mid level teams are stronger than a lot of the other conferences. I think they're stronger than the Big Ten for sure. For sure. When you come down off of, when you come down off of Ohio State, you come down off of Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, then you're you start dealing with you know Indiana, Illinois, and Northwestern looked pretty good the other day. Um, Purdue has some some high moments. Obviously, didn't come out real great against. Purdue is going to be good in a few more years. They need a little more time. Ron's doing a really good job there. Right. Again, another program that's having to to recover after some down years. But they're not producing on that same level as this mid-range as as the ACC. And so that's really why I picked that conference as a whole, because I see that as the up-and-coming conference in the country, because uh, they're definitely, definitely better than the the Big 12 or the Pac-12, especially in the mid-range. And, uh, again... You know, when you say, oh, they got Oklahoma uh, out there, yeah. And then what else do they have? Uh, TCU, West Virginia, but 
but really not. You know, I heard this morning Desmond Howard said he has picked West Virginia to win the conference, which is kind of startling, especially seeing, you know, one one thing that I have noticed already is what Oklahoma is doing today. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but you know, why would you why would you think West Virginia's gonna win it? Maybe you know something I don't. He he's got a lot more time to to research these things, but I, I just I don't see that as being a conference that is deep with the talent that that you see team wise with the ACC. So uh, right, so I went with I went with them for that because I just I see them tough. And then then I went with Stanford because I, and I I said this I, I hate trying to focus on just one player, but uh, out at Stanford when you're talking about Bryce Love, man, that that guy. Is. When you have one that good at that position in that offensive system, it's fair to talk about yeah. one player. Yeah, I mean, because he is because they're gonna they're gonna give him the ball thirty five times a game. Yeah, and and when I'm looking at him, I'm like, this guy's a, a human biology major. He was in the National Honor Society. You know, uh, you're you're just expecting to to come across him on campus, up an old lady across the street, or you know, <laughs> mentoring some kids, teaching them how to read, or something like that. He's just all the way around. You're seeing this really great guy who's also a fantastic football player and probably a, a front runner for the Heisman. Yeah. But and looking at at Stanford's past as a team, and and again. It really, they're not getting the the talk up. I don't think this year, as far as them being able to to win the Pac-12, because they always ruin it for somebody. And and this right. year, if you ruin it for one or two teams, you won it because there's nobody yeah. else out there that's yeah. really going to. If you can knock off Washington, you've got a real good chance of winning yep. that conference. Yeah, because you know, see, you, you never know what they're going to do. Yeah, for sure. You 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 were gonna mention. I was gonna mention Washington. Oh, one yeah. on the for, as far as West Coast are concerned, that's that's the team that I've got my eye on, and I've had it there for a little while. But I was waiting on Chris Peterson to be able to get everything kind of lined up where he wanted it. He needed some time to get that thing that ship straightened out, you know. And now yeah. I'll be I'm gonna be very 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 intrigued to watch this Auburn game tonight. Because uh, I, I, Chris is man, that guy is fantastic. He, what he was able to do at Boise with nothing, that was before Boise was Boise. Now he he made it that, and right. what he was able to do at Boise with just nothing before they had anything was yeah. spectacular. He beat, you got to remember now the guy beat everybody remembers the Oklahoma game. People forget that he also beat Georgia in the Georgia Dome and that he beat Virginia Tech in the Washington Redskins Stadium, which are two other home games essentially. And yeah. the things that he was able to do there, beating TCU and and Oklahoma, Georgia, Virginia Tech. I mean, every time they lined somebody up that was worth talking about in front of the guy, he beat. Him. And and now he's at Washington, and he actually has some resources, and he has the ability to do some things in recruiting, and he can go some places and get the things that he needs. And he's going to be dangerous. And I don't know, I don't know if this is the year or if he needs one or two more. But Washington is the one on the West Coast that I've got my eye on right now. And really, those—if you look out there this season, from everything we're seeing so far, 
to have whoever wins out from Sanford and Washington, that's that's probably going to be a playoff team. Yeah, that's a team that that ha- or at least has a good chance. You know, I was tweeting out earlier. Uh, I think the Notre Dame uh, Michigan game today, which of course we will know the answer to by the time this is out, but not today when we're recording it. I think that's the bigger game from this week because it's more dependent on uh, Michigan and, and Notre Dame are both more dependent on that game than Auburn or Washington either one could be. Yeah. Uh, yep. Washington or Auburn could win out their conference, and if today is the only loss they have, then they're still okay. Um, right. If if Notre Dame loses today, Michigan they gotta, that's a strong uphill battle there for them. After that. Right, they they've got an uphill battle, especially if Michigan loses again uh, to to state. And to yeah. Ohio State, and you look at Michigan having that possibility there three or maybe even four losses by the time they they end a season, and if they win that game today, that, that does not look good on the Irish trying to get in to the playoff for sure. later on in the season. Whereas for if sure. they win that game, that that kind of takes that out, and then if if uh, if Michigan loses and then winds up winning out. Then come playoff selection time, you've got to seriously look at, well, Notre Dame won out, Michigan won out, but Notre Dame beat Michigan. I just I think that's a more important game right out of the gate. That's probably the biggest game of the weekend. Whoever wins that game has got a leg up toward the playoffs at this point, and that's that's kind of crazy to say in week one, but that's how college football works. That's it. That's it. That's what makes it so much. That's what makes it so much excitement. So much excitement. Excuse me. So exciting though is every week you got to be on it. You have got to be on yeah. it every single week. It's not like it's not like basketball where you can afford a flop one time and you're still going to be able to do whatever. And it's not like you know these other sports. College football, man, that's where it's at. The NFL, you can lose, you can lose five, six games, make the playoffs, and still be, you know, and be in really, really good shape. College football, you lose, you lose two games in college football. It's over. Right. It's over. Yeah. And, and so well, you think back to the to the Ravens winning a Super Bowl uh, in an expanded wild card platform to where just a few yeah. years earlier they wouldn't have even been in the playoffs, and they wound yeah. up winning the Super Bowl, and that does not work uh, under under the the current. No. Uh, even with the playoff system, you can't do that. <laughs> right. Right. And. Uh, you know, even even the 16 seeds in the basketball playoffs and the NCAA playoffs come out with a chance. You got a shot. <laughs> you got yeah, a shot. Yeah, you got a shot. <laughs> if, you, if you're the if you're the number four team in your conference in in this, you you're out. You're, you know, you're going to the, the Liberty Bowl or you're going to Shreveport or wherever. You're not going to uh, to the playoff for sure. Right. So that uh. That pretty much goes back over our picks, I think. I'm trying to remember. What was your what was your third one? You had Washington, you had Memphis. Did I did I leave somebody out there? Washington, Memphis and Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska. It's uh again, new coach, new new culture, new everything there. Uh, I saw and, the and, that and that's a very similar situation. 
a very similar situation to what I was just talking about with Chris Peterson. As fast as Scott Frost was able to build that thing at UCF, he built that thing in a hurry. Their first year, they struggled. In their second year, they were on. He built it in a hurry with nothing. That place was nothing. Right. And as fast as he was able to build it with nothing, what's about to happen when he actually has the resources that he has in Nebraska with the leadership still from Tom Osborne? And, and he, what is he going to be able to do out of Nebraska now that he's got legitimate actual resources? I'm very interested to see that. Now, that goes two ways. Hey, now you're at Nebraska, and they'll give you all the money that you want. You have the world at your fingertips. But B, you're not used to coaching it that way. <laughs> no. You, know, you're, you start looking around, and all the schools that you're playing against have all these things now, and y'all, you aren't having to draw it up in the dirt quite as much. And it's a little bit of a learning curve for him, too, I think, trying to figure out how to manage the program when it actually does have some resources and you actually can do some things. Now, those are very, very, very good problems to have, and all of us in the coaching profession would welcome them with open arms, but that, that's an adjustment for him, too. So how is he able to manage that? What's he able to build at Nebraska? Um, after this season, when he gets into his first round of recruiting, how big is he able to score, and, and what are we able to see from them going forward? But I'm really excited to see that much. He's a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, you've seen a lot of guys that have made it big time at the smaller school go up to the bigger school and it not work out. Right. Uh, and and that may very well have something to do with it. You just you, your style isn't compatible at the bigger school. Right. But it's the same reason that you see college coaches go to the NFL and flop. And you see NFL coaches come to college and flop. And every once in a while you see one uh like I I it turns my stomach to say it, but you see one like Pete Carroll, you know. And and he goes right. and wins in college and wins in the NFL and that's good for him. But then you see people like Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly leaves college, goes to the NFL, flops, comes back. We'll see what happens. You know, and you see these right. guys jump levels in college, and they can't can't do it as well on the big stage as they could on the small stage. And I, I think that's really it, the structure of your staff is so different, so different as you climb, and the way that you're able to operate things on a daily basis that people don't ever see. You know, and I, I yeah. promise you. I promise you, those people who have climbed levels, who have won insane amounts of games at smaller levels, and then they climb levels and they can't win as well, can't win at such a high level, I promise you they didn't just forget how to coach football. I, I, no, that's no, not no. The problem. no. There's <laughs> that's more not to the problem. it than that. So, there's more to it than that, for sure. That's, that's things that people people who aren't in the business don't really see that that much. Because so, they right. don't know what it's like in the office on Wednesday afternoon and things like that. So. You know, that's that's things that people don't take into account enough, I think. Oh yeah, definitely so. And uh I think I think we're gonna see Chip Kelly come back and do really well. Well, uh, well totally expect Nebraska to to be back on the mend. But again, like you said, we don't we never know. Uh just looking at, at guys as far as, as coaches with, with Kelly coming back. I really think he's just a college coach, like Saban. Nick Saban yep. did you know, blah. See Spurrier, yeah. coach the pro. There's you. Uh, and, and Spurrier tried it multiple times. You know, his work and uh, did okay with the USFL, but but with the NFL, just never really was able to get it together. But has did amazing work at, at Carolina, and of oh. course was legendary at Florida. Has stuff named after him down there. 
and you're just just an amazing. But when it comes to coaching in the pros, he's just he's just not he's just not a pro coach. And yeah, I'll add I'll add one more name. Yeah, I'll add one more name to this little discussion. Another one that excites me right now is Arizona State with Herm Edwards. Yeah, not, not even not even for the fact that. Herm has always been an NFL guy, and this is his first college gig. Not even that, but Herm Edwards has been out of the game for so long, and the game has changed and evolved so much since he last coached the game. And I know that he's been commentating, and I know he's kept up with everything. And, you know, he's, he's, he's fooled up, I think, but the game has changed so much since he was last coaching. I'm very, very interested to see how he handles the new age a little bit. Because I know that I know that Herm's done it his way for a long time, and he's not going to change that too much. And so I'll be very interested to see how his old school style comes in with with this new school game that we're playing now. And I'm I'm kind of fired up to see him too. Yeah, and I, I think one thing with Herm, that um, I may be completely misreading him, but the feeling I get from him is he's he's one of those coaches that the guys are really going to like playing for. Sure. Yep. And and he may be old school, and and sometimes that works. And just depending yep. on where you are, uh, yep. you get you sort of get the the whole I'm gonna get in here and swap around, play around, or we're gonna have a wild no hood offense and all that. And and you run up against a really stout defense, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> you just you're just not moving the ball. Uh, where an old you know the newer school, newer style. Uh, and, and the players are different. You know, we're not talking about the same players we were talking about 15, 20 years ago even. Um, so that that could come into effect as well. But right. how the players relate to him as a coach is, is probably going to be his his key there. And uh, that, that's, that's, it's going to be curious to see how it works out because, again, he's, that's, that's Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 football. Right, and you see them if they're coming back. Kevin Sumlin is at uh, State, yes. Uh, he is at Arizona. At, at Arizona, and Herman Edwards is at Arizona State, and you got Chip Kelly right. coming in at UCLA, sort of really just kind of rebuilding that whole division again. A down season, which is good for Stanford, as I mentioned before, but three to five years, who knows what you've got down the road there. I really think, and, you know, we hear a lot about California, and I know there's a lot of kids out there, but you didn't see the Big Ten really come back up until they started getting some Southern ball players. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of probably developing the Pac-12 is going to rely on coming in and getting some some, uh, some guys from Georgia, Florida, maybe Texas. And, yeah. And that's, that's tough, man. You got to really, you have to really decide that that's what you're going to be about if you're that Pac-12 school and you're going to start coming this way to get them. Mm. Yeah. But I know that I saw on the road recruiting this spring, I saw way more Big Ten guys than I did West Coast guys. Right. At an at I think an the Big Ten is real life. astronomical I think, level. Uh, I think. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, for all my dislikes of him as whatever, but he he comes in and he says, yep. I'm going to start having camps in the South. Well, he's not coming down here trying to help kids learn how to play football. He's coming down here recruiting because he knows it. 
where football players are from. <laughs> That's yeah. I'm going to go down here and I'm going to get close to these ball players and we're going to see if we can't get them to come this way. And I, you know, that's when you start seeing where some of these guys are coming from, uh, you've got Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Uh, I don't think of another one, but they they got roots coaching in the South, and they they've coached around SEC ball, or at least they are realized what the recruiting field is, and they've decided to make a commitment there. Yeah. And I don't know that the Pac-12 has done that. Like you said, you haven't seen those guys, so. Uh, I saw, I'm trying to remember, I saw I saw two Pac-12 coaches while I was on the road. I saw probably ten from the Big Ten. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, so you're looking at a. At, a, at almost every school, you have found yeah. somebody yep. down here recruiting. And yep. That's just your area. That's not. And I was only I was only out. That's just just my area of South Georgia. What's up, right. to all my kids down there? Um, just my area of South Georgia, and I was only on the road for ten days. Right. The recruiting window was open a lot longer than that, but I was only down there for ten days. So who knows what the rest of the what the rest of the window looked like. Right, or what's going on in Metro Atlanta, or what's going on in right. South Carolina, or what's going on in all over Florida. Right. Um, right. I know, you know, growing up and going to Florida, especially uh, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, you always saw bumper stickers, uh, spare tire covers on RVs and big vans, from Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, people that were going to bowl games. And then, of course, you've got, you know, I think once you turn, you know, 62 and a half or something in Ohio, there's a rule that says you have to buy property in Florida. So <laughs> you've got a lot of family connections in that area. Right. Uh, a lot of alumni connections in that area. No telling how many times the phone rings at, at Michigan or Ohio State. Hey, we've got this kid in Lakeland, and y'all should send some guy down here to look at him. Uh, and sure enough, hey, he's one of the greatest receivers your school's ever had. Or you know, there's just there's so many connections there. So Southern football really making a splash on the on the college level, and uh, I think that's you know again coming back to the Pac-12. If they decide that that's an avenue they're going to spend more time on, then they may or may not be able to. They're going to have to. They're going to have to. I, I've got, I just, I've got friends, I've got friends out there, and we've had the same conversation, but they're getting past that now. They have to. They've, yeah. they've got to. The, the Big Ten is passing them because the Big Ten has made the commitment to get into this part of the country and to get into Texas. Yeah. And and, and the Pac-12 is still just trying to say we have California. That's all well and good. There's a whole lot of things to do in California. Yeah, in 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 metro areas in California, there is a whole lot of things going on for those boys that don't yeah. have anything to do with football. You go to Atlanta, you go to Orlando, even you go to wherever. There's there's stuff to do. Those boys are playing football. Those yeah. boys are playing ball. You know, so yeah, it's ingrained it's, in our uh, culture. <laughs> that's it. That's it, and it's it's a different deal out there. Football is something you do out there here. Like you said, it's part of the culture, man. It's part of the culture. Yeah. So, I watch uh, I watch small towns all across the state get shut down every Friday night ten times a year, you know. 
It's different. Yeah. It's different. They don't they don't shut down any suburbs of Los Angeles for football games on Friday night. Oh right? yeah, we we see no 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 we see Urban County last week beating Fitzgerald or week four last and and they come back bus comes into town the red light in town is shut down that's where the bus has to stop and let everybody out because there's a mob in the street and the fire department's out there you know blowing the siren and blowing the horn and got the lights going and. Uh, the sheriff's department's all out in force, out, but not because there's a riot or anything, but because they're out there celebrating too. First time that yeah, I think they had beaten Fitzgerald in like ten or fifteen years, and yeah, that's that's small town football, that's small town southern football. It, that's it's part of who the town is. It's not just part of who the kids are. That's that's how they identify themselves. Right. Uh, as that as that team, they have their own traditions and everything that goes on there. So, yeah, and not so, to say that yeah. the, that's not to say that the football in California isn't good. It's good football. There's a lot of good football players and a whole lot of really good football teams out there. But absolutely, you don't. There's it's not the market isn't just flooded like it is in this part of the country. Right. I think if you're out there recruiting, if you're recruiting basketball, I think you can be pretty successful out there like that. Uh, surfing, yeah, you can probably do that. Uh, but when, when you're looking at, at football, something that's ingrained in the culture down here, this is this is where you're going to find the top-notch talent. And I think that right. may have to do a lot with, with also what we've talked about. The SEC right now not having the, the dominance, overall dominance that they've had. I think well, you, they're, they're starting to get more picked parity. up a little bit by the – yeah, they're starting to get picked right. off a little bit by the Big Ten and these other these other places. A lot of the speed that we've talked about between the you know the SEC was up forty one to fourteen faster than the Big Ten every year, and that's yeah. that's not necessarily the case anymore. But it's because the the Big Ten has has said, hey, and that's we're been really good for forty one speed. That's been really good for college football, though. Oh, absolutely. Oh. I think it absolutely is better because once. Once you start seeing some parody, I mean, yeah, it's fun for a while. Hey, we beat snot out of them. We beat snot out of them. Isn't that funny? Okay, well, it ceases to be funny after a while, and you want to see these games. <laughs> God, do we have to beat them again? <laughs> yeah. You, it starts to lose some of its fun. So I think it is definitely good for the sport because it, it's going to bring everybody up a little bit rather than dragging anybody down. Yeah, and you haven't seen that as much. You haven't seen what you're talking about, man. When the you know it comes to bowl season, you don't you see a whole lot more really good games in bowl season now than you oh, have yeah. in you know the, say the early 2000s. Yeah, it was. You can call your bowl season to go just about perfect because you knew exactly what was going to happen in all the big games anyway. Yeah, so. Yeah, now you have to. Now it, it, you actually see some really good football games. And some things are happening. Yeah, I, I think so. So it's going to be uh, going to be very interesting to see how this, the rest of this year goes. I mean, that, that, we're just getting started, just getting warmed up. That's right. That's right. That's so, right. And I will say, look, I've looked ahead, and we got to get out of this. This pre the early season rut. I was looking to pick games for next week for week two for C and C and God, next week's games are terrible. 
looking through it, I'm like, who did this? Whose fault is this? You know? Oh, look at creative. I'm sure we'll pump out something. Oh, yeah, we're going to come up with something. <laughs> Something's going to work. Uh, but, uh, you know, i, I got to say this. I just saw maybe an hour ago, and it, it went on the ABGCFB tweet, um, Georgia and Clemson will be playing in the Chick-fil-A kickoff. 2024, I believe, is when it was. You know, they played like 60-something times. Schools are – it's actually closer. Both of these schools are closer to each other than they are their main rival. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what, for this little glitch we had, I was telling that, that uh, of course, Clemson, Georgia play in 2024. Clemson, again, closer to Georgia than they are to Columbia by, like, half. Uh, it's like <laughs> 15, 20 minutes closer to drive to Clemson from Athens than it is to drive to Bobby Dodd in Atlanta. This is a natural rivalry. These two teams need to be playing each other. And if nothing else, it gives a little breakup between the ACC and the SEC, between typically strong teams that can help out, you know, with the playoff system being what it is, you only get four teams in. They're looking at trying to be able to make more. Uh, you're making more of a playoff system in the regular season by teams like Georgia and Clemson playing each other. So that, that sort right. of brings that, sort of brings right. that in. We've got to, as an industry, and it is what it is, and I know that these schedules are made years in advance, and, and we've been doing it so long now that that's just how far off you have to push it, but you're talking about a game six years down the road, and that's typically when your games are scheduled in college. You're scheduling games five, six years down the road, and this is where that becomes a problem. I don't know. The game's over by now, uh, and I don't know what the final score of it was, but I know that the NC State just played James Madison. Six years ago, NC State might have wanted some of that. To, and I'm not saying that they didn't handle their business. I don't know what the end of that game was. But when I when I stepped out from the from the room I was watching that game in, it was 17 to 13 with like three minutes left in the game. Yeah. Six years down the road, you don't know. College football changes so fast. Six years down the road, you have no idea what you're going to get. You have no idea. Right. And you, you're scheduling these games. Um and I'll use one example for tonight. Georgia's playing Austin P tonight. Six years ago, Austin P was the doormat of their conference in FCS. They were all, and I'm, I have no delusions that Austin P is going to beat Georgia tonight. But, but Austin P is going to be way more formidable tonight than people think they are, um, even against Georgia. And I'm not saying that it'll be close. I'm not saying to win. I'm not saying anything like that. But that bunch is. That's not the Austin P that was there six years ago. Definitely not. Definitely not. And these other these other places that sign these games, you look at this and you're like, wow, that's a really good game. Well, six years ago they signed it because they thought it was an easy win. <laughs> and, yeah. And so you, yeah, we're going to pay you a bunch know, of money and you're going to come there and get beat and you're going to go home. That's not always the case anymore. <laughs> you know, right. so things change so fast. you got to be careful scheduling those games this far out. Right now, Clemson and Georgia sounds great. But what happens if – what happens if – Whatever happens, and Bobo leaves Clemson, are they the same thing in six years? I don't know. You know, not, and yeah. I don't think he will. But if he should, then then what are we looking right. at in six years? A lot of weird things happen in college football. For sure, for 
Well, all right, we'll probably need to wrap this up. It's been a interesting discussion so far and a, and a big season ahead. So curious to see what goes on. We'll have to get together again and talk football some here on the podcast. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right, well, go break down some film or do whatever you got to do, and good luck to you this week. We appreciate it. The Hawks got a big one this week. Uh, Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock in Barron Stadium in Rome, playing Tusculum College, so feel free to come on by and see us. Sounds good. Sounds good. Get All right, Coach. Plug in there. <laughs> do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. <laughs> All right, Coach. Have a good week, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Georgia